Hello everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week to Femme Fatale, a podcast dedicated to supporting female authors in the science fiction and fantasy genres. My name is Moya, and this week has been kind of long actually, but yesterday was really nice because it was like the perfect fall day. I think it actually might have been the first day of fall too. I don't know. I don't remember, but it was like cold and rainy and it was just Oh, it was so great. And I went to my favorite soup shop and I got some soup for dinner. It was it was a great night. Uh, and I just have all the fall vibes right now. So I'm doing good. And it's the weekend. So I'm just going to read all weekend. Like, what more could you ask for? Anyways, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, and I'm very grateful to Noelle for joining me to talk about the sexism within the literary community, especially within sci-fi and fantasy, and to just kind of inform you guys more about the point of this podcast. And I'm really excited to continue on this journey with you guys, especially now that we're all a little bit more educated, and to keep supporting these female authors. That being said, our author that we will be covering for the next three weeks is Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. And she is a fantastic woman. I mean, there's a lot about her that just wows me. And we're going to talk about that today. So, uh, we're going to kind of cover her basic inf- like bio information and then her career and some of like some struggles she's faced as a female author, um, also a Latina female author. So, let's get started. Silvia Moreno-Garcia is a Latina woman living in, currently living in, um, British Columbia. She was born and raised in uh, Baja, California, Mexico, Uh, but she was born on April 25th, 1981, uh, which makes her about 40 years old uh, as of today, and she has a master's in science and technology studies from the University of British Columbia, which I just, people who have graduate degrees amazes me because first of all undergrad was rough (laughs) I mean just a lot of it's a lot of school I mean I love school and so I want to pursue like a master's and hopefully a PhD someday but like after going through 12 years of school you know, from graduating high school and then four more years of college and then a master's degree. Like, that's a lot. (laughs) And I don't, uh, I don't know for, like, when she pursued that exactly, if she did it all at once, like, right after her undergrad. But regardless, that's incredible that she got a master's degree because, one, I feel like that's not, well, it's definitely more common now, but it didn't used to be very common for people to get a master's degree, especially probably a woman, and, like, in science and technology studies, like, 
there's a reason I majored in English and it's because I'm not good at science. <laughs> like, I'm just not, it does not make sense to me. It's like, I have a lot of respect for people who do major in science or who are doctors and nurses and, or like chemists or whatever, like people who understand that and have a passion for it. I have a lot of respect for those people and it's fantastic. And I think we'll, we'll learn today that her passion and her draw to science and technology has actually influenced her writing quite a bit and helped uh, make her writing more, not personal, but more her own, I guess. It's given it her, her flavor, put it that way. Um, her thesis for her master is uh, Magna Mater, I believe that's right, Magnumator, Women and Eugenic Thought in the Work of H.P. Lovecraft. So, just to, like, break that down into simpler terms, <laughs> she is- wrote her thesis about how there are concepts of eugenics in H.P. Lovecraft's work, which, for those of you who don't know, eugenics was a, uh, a movement- in America that took place from the late 19th century, so late 1800s, even as late as the 1940s, and this movement was not good. <laughs> so in science fiction, there is an aspect of eugenics as well, where, uh, like in Gattaca, the movie, there was, doctors had the ability to well, I guess parents and doctors had the ability to make their child how they wanted it, so they could control the everything about the kid and how they came out. And there's, I I feel like there's a bit of a of debate about that right now because I think modern medicine um, and technology is kind of going in that direction of allowing us to be able to do that, and so. That's the more um, science fiction aspect of it, but the movement that happened in America that's very real was that a eugenics movement started and it was a way to oppress people of color and they would force um, black women to, black women and men to have um, undergo procedures that would, wouldn't allow them to have children which is incredibly wrong, and it was started because of incredibly racist people um, who have absolutely no, no shame and no, no care for human life um, and the prosperity of others. But anyways, that's kind of the history of eugenics in America and kind of like what that, what, what it means. Basically, it just, to sum up, it means trying to control a population or um, trying to control hereditary traits of a population. That's a better definition. Uh, and so this is, <laughs> this is what her, her thesis was about. It was about that, those thoughts in H.P. Lovecraft's work. And H.P. Lovecraft is a legendary horror writer. I mean, he is... When you think of horror, that's who you think of, typically. And so, that I've never read anything by him, 
but this is this is very high level thought in literature and it's it's so cool to see i haven't read her thesis uh, but i do know it is available online if you go to her website which is going to be linked um, in the notes for the podcast if you go to her website and uh check her i believe it's on her about page there's a link to the thesis uh if not i'll just put a link in the notes actually for the thesis so you guys can read it if you would like to because i actually would really like to it sounds really interesting uh anyways so that's what her thesis was about and um she's edited multiple anthologies uh including uh thulu's daughters i probably butchered that it is a uh, kind of spin-off story based off of um, an H.P. Lovecraft uh, book and um, just kind of taking that story further. So she edited an anthology um, called Thu's Daughters and um, she was also has her own publishing house. Like she's the publisher of Innsmouth Free Press. Like there's this woman is so she does she does so much <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> uh and so she not only has edited stories uh published her own books and writes she also writes for the washington post as a columnist <laughs> and she like and she has a publish she's a publisher like what can't she do this is this is what i love to see in women specifically because it's so there's probably lots of controversial thought about this but i don't care i'm gonna say it it hasn't been encouraged traditionally like women weren't encouraged to do this kind of thing to go after whatever they want and to just take it on like that's not something that has ever been encouraged until recently and it's really cool to see people actually doing it, to see women actually doing it and achieving it. I mean, it's a huge inspiration and it also shows how how far we've come as a society. There's still a long ways to go, <laughs> considering the fact that there was a need for a podcast like this. <laughs> but her work and her dedication to her work and what she has done so far is incredibly inspiring. So, she is the publisher of Innsmouth Free Press, and like I said, she's also columnist for the Washington Post, um, and she also used to co-edit a horror magazine from 2017 to two uh, 2020 with uh, Sean Wallace. And I want to pause here really quick and discuss the place uh, horror has in this podcast <laughs> because Sylvia Moreno Garcia has written uh, lots of different genres, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. And like I said, she was the co-editor of a horror magazine. And so horror has a special place in her heart and as far as genres go, horror is technically under the same umbrella as fantasy and science fiction. So f fantasy and science fiction are under the speculative fiction umbrella, and horror also falls under that. And so on this podcast, I'm not really focusing on horror because 
horror isn't something I usually read. And, but that's not going to deter me from bringing on and talking about authors who have written horror in addition to like science fiction or fantasy or something like that. So that is all in regards to horror and this podcast. <clears throat> so in addition to all of these other things she's accomplished in her career with her publishing house, her um, column in the Washington Post, uh, editing this magazine and having a master's degree, she has written three novellas uh, two collections of short stories, and then many, many short stories have been published individually. Like, I didn't even count because there were so many. <laughs> and she's written uh, six books. Uh, two, two of them are upcoming, one this year and the other one uh, this year is in 2021, and the other one next year, 2022. And we're going to look more at those books uh, in the next episode. going to talk about them, kind of go over some themes and what each of them is about. In doing research for this podcast episode, I looked through quite a few interviews that she had with different uh, magazines or just people. And so I read through those and got a lot of insight into her writing and why she writes the way she does, why she writes across a bunch of different genres and some of the things that she's struggled with as a Latina writer in speculative fiction. So something that she mentioned with her writing is that in a lot of her stories there are themes of water, so like lakes and rivers, uh, oceans, that kind of thing. And something else which we talked about with Margaret Atwood is that writing across various genres isn't very common, typically. And Sylvia Moreno-Garcia also does. She's written a lot of different genres. Uh, and they all tend to fall under the speculative fiction umbrella in some way, shape, or form because there's something fantastical about them. I'm not an expert on any of her books by any means, and but based off of descriptions of the books, that's what I have gleaned. Uh, so, like, she has a crime novel, but there's still, like, fantastical elements to it that still let it lean a little bit into the speculative fiction realm, but it's also still, like, a mystery crime novel. And uh, one of her newer books that was released, uh, Mexican Gothic, uh, it's a gothic novel. And so that's something that she talks about and how, like, why she writes in a lot of different genres if there's a purpose behind it. And I got this quote, it was a, it was a Q&A with the, um, with CBC Books. And uh, Sylvia says, quote, growing up in Mexico, we didn't have a dividing line between the fantastical and the literary, like you do in Canada. So it bled through. Therefore, my writing bleeds through categories, and I enjoy the challenge of changing constantly, like molting out of a book, end quote. I like that idea that each book that she writes is a new challenge. And, I mean, every book that an author writes is going to be a new challenge in its own way. And 
she's just adding a different twist. This is her, this is her twist. This is what's making it challenging for her, which I think is really cool. I mean, through college, I was forced <laughs> to write things I wasn't comfortable writing. I mean, I had to take quite a few journalism type classes and writing articles um, for my degree and I hated it. I'm not gonna lie, I hated it. Like, I didn't, journalism is not the type of writing that I'm great at and so it was not an easy task but there's something to be said for dipping your toes in, uh, in things you're not comfortable with because it builds your skill as a writer and I mean again I hate writing poetry <laughs> I do I'm not good at it like I just I can't <laughs> nobody wants to read my poetry it sucks <laughs> and the only poetry I have is for school assignments but I do appreciate poetry, though. I will say that. I like reading poetry and especially more like uh, classic, I guess, or ancient. It's like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight or uh, Beowulf. I love Beowulf. Oh my gosh. But like that kind of poetry, I love and I can appreciate modern poetry. It's just not my forte. I'm, yeah. Anyways, so the me writing poetry in in college and in high school is still beneficial to my writing career though because it built up muscles in in ways that other types of writing probably wouldn't have that are still valuable in all types of writing. And so the the point I'm trying to make here is that because Garcia does this she writes in a bunch of different genres that's building up her muscles as a writer and she writes a column for the washington post and it's like she's doing all of these different things that will make her a better writer which is incredible and she's she obviously knows what she's doing because she's written so much <laughs> and she's not like a super well-known author like Margaret Atwood is, or like, I don't think she's a New York Times bestseller, but when writers put this much work into their writing, it shows that they are good enough to be a New York Times bestseller. There's just, for some reason, they aren't. Um, and actually, we're going to talk a little bit about some reasons behind that in a second. Um, so, anyways, like I said previously, uh, she is very interested in horror as a genre, and she was actually inspired by Edgar Allan Poe and then later on H.P. Lovecraft and she loves both of their work. She's highly inspired by both of them and she loves the dark fantasy and, and horror and that kind of thing and uh, that's something that she enjoys writing and reading which I think is wonderful. I mean there aren't very many female horror authors either because it's just not I don't know it's not something that you see a lot of women writing I mean I don't really know a whole lot about the horror genre to be honest so I don't have much authority to speak about it like I know about Stephen King that's about it <laughs> and H.P. Lovecraft I guess so you know it, yeah I'm not I don't have authority to really speak about horror as a genre but So, something that I 
really wanted to talk about too are some of the struggles she's faced as a writer and some things that she has a good say in um, because of her stance and because of her experience. Uh, so with writing specifically, uh, like I said, she's very she's a huge fa- fan of horror and she has some of her own horror stories and um, themes in her writing. And uh, a question that was asked of her in an interview is, what she thinks of how the horror genre is doing today. And she just talks about how horror overall is a disrespected genre. And it's quite, like, it's just not looked well upon. Kind of like romance. Uh, I was talking to a friend about this this past week, actually, how romance is often labeled as a less than category uh, or genre, I suppose. And it's this, like, it's like a fluff genre. Like, that's not real writing. That's not real reading. I was like, that doesn't stop. <laughs> that's not a thing. There's no such thing as real or not real reading or writing. Like, if you're writing, you're writing. If you're reading, you're reading. And side note, audiobooks count as reading. Like, any of you listening who know somebody who says, that's an audiobook, that doesn't count. Yeah, don't listen to them. They're, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, that totally counts it's you're still consuming a story that's what reading is it's consuming a story it's like uh to hell with all those people anyways uh so the horror genre is just kind of like romance in that way and it's just looked down upon it's like like uh it i think something she talked about too in uh in the interview was how people who write horror are kind of also looked down upon like they're weird like the weird emo kid (laughs) like that's kind of how it's viewed and I this is where stereotypes are well stereotypes in general are are harmful and this is just one example of how it's harmful because that's not what horror is I mean obviously it is the point of horror is to scare you (laughs) and but the writers aren't just like these weird people who dream about hurting people like that's not this is just the kind of art they enjoy doing and so it's not it's not fair to place that stereotype on people who write horror or enjoy reading horror they're people (laughs) like i'd love it if we could just look at people as people and not place all of these stereotypes and baggage on them unnecessarily anyways this is kind of getting beyond my point here (laughs) so uh anyways to to sum up circle back um she's very excited to see more people kind of going back to horror and how more people in her generation and our generation are starting to pay more attention to the genre and write more in horror and so she's excited about that and happy that that's happening, which is great. Uh, I think overall there's a lot more attention to literature. And I think just as more time passes, more and more incredible stories are added to the world. And it's a really exciting thing to see. Okay, so this next part is a bit more of a difficult topic. This next part I'm going to talk about... Sylvia Moreno-Garcia 
and her difficulties as a Latina writer. And so this is this is something important that I think needs to be talked about no matter how difficult or frustrating because I don't think people realize the struggle that I should say I don't think white people <laughs> understand the struggle that people of color go through when they're trying to publish their work. And so this is something I'm going to talk about throughout the podcast whenever I feature an author's person of color. And so this is one of those cases. It is also Hispanic Heritage Month. Yay. And that's also why I chose Sylvia Moreno-Garcia to help celebrate and commemorate uh, this month and honor uh, Hispanic creators in this way. So, like I said, um, she was born and raised in Mexico and later on moved to Canada. So she doesn't live in the U.S. Uh, we have two Canadian authors in a row. <laughs> and But that doesn't make her origin story any less important or any less part of her story and who she is as a person. And so... Um, it's a struggle she's had to face her entire career, and I want to dive into that a little bit. A lot of her books center around Mexican culture and Mexico <laughs> as a place. I mean, this is what she knows, this is what's important to her, and this is what she wants to write about, most importantly. But that has been a hurdle for her as well unfortunately. She was asked a question in an interview. It's posted on bookster.com. I'm going to link it in the show notes, so be sure to check that out if you want to read the full interview. Uh, so they, they asked if it was hard to pitch her books because they have they are centered around Mexican culture, and she answers saying like it was indeed really difficult to sell her books because they're set in Mexico. And is it makes it hard for some readers to relate to the story in the publisher's eyes that's what they're thinking and it's wrong because it really doesn't matter i mean they obviously have a have a budget and they have a quota that they want to meet and they want to make sure that they're making enough money and that's those are the books they're going to pick up the ones they think that will sell mon- sell and make them money which sucks like this is why so many people go into self-publishing because there's just too much red tape with traditional publishing unfortunately but it's also what will get you the most publicity if you're able to traditionally publish anyways when when you break it down and look at the content of literature that we have a large portion of it centers around straight white people that is rapidly changing which i love to see because we need more diversity in literature because we live in a diverse world it's not realistic to only write books about straight white people because that's not those those aren't the only people that exist like you're just living in a bubble if that's what you think and i'm 
not at all sorry to burst that bubble, <laughs> but this idea that, oh, well, this book won't sell well because people won't be able to relate to it. And it's like, yes, there are people who will be able to relate to it. I mean, you're looking at the wrong audience then if you think that people can't relate to this book because it's based around Mexican culture or it was, it's based in Mexico. Like, that, you're thinking about it incorrectly. First of all, there are plenty of white people, I'm sure, who are brave enough, I guess we could say, <laughs> to branch out and read about a culture that's different from their own. And if they're not, well, shame on them. They should. But beside the fact, there are plenty of Latinx people who would want to read this. There are plenty of people who could relate to this story. And so the fact that the larger, not not even necessarily larger, like the, the, the population that you're aiming towards is just white people, like that's wrong. So that is an infuriating, infuriating point here. And I, 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 hmm. it frustrates me that this is even something that, that people have to go through. I immediately think of The Hate You Give by Angela uh, Thompson, I believe. I want to make sure I have that last name right. I'm sorry, it's by Angie Thomas. Wow, I was, wow, I'm so sorry. It's by Angie Thomas. And that book did so well. Like, that book is so popular. They made a movie out of it that also did really well. And that that's something that a lot of people would quote-unquote not be able to relate to. Like, But actually, you know, they can actually. And, and so the fact that that whole like, oh, well, people might not be able to really relate to it, it's bullshit. That's what it is. Like, people can. It's just not going to appeal, possibly, to straight white people. And it's a stupid reason not to publish a book. It really is. Anyways, I'm going to get off this topic because I'm just ranting now. And I'm guessing you guys probably don't want to hear me do that. <laughs> so, another um, point to this this question about may, was it difficult to sell her books because of the content and the culture and where it was uh the setting was and all that she talks about a time when she was asked if she could change the names of her characters to anglo names so uh for those of you who don't know what that means that basically means they were asking her to change like a hispanic name to basically an american name or an english name I'm sorry. How how does this make sense? How like you know that meme of of the woman trying to do this super complicated math problem? That's me right now because it makes no sense. If the story is based in Mexico, if it's based on Mexican culture, why on God's green earth would the main characters have American names? Please tell me why. 
like, no. No, stop trying to whitewash. Things. Like, anything. Everything. Stop trying to whitewash everything. Like, can we not? <laughs> like, it makes no sense. Like, that... That is pure monetization. Like, that is what that is. They're just trying to make as much money off of these books as they can. Which, again, we live in a capitalist economy. Like, that's that's what our, our country does in America, if you live here. Like, it's it's sickening, to be honest. But that's their purpose, to make money. And so they're going to do that however they can. But it makes no logical sense to do that. It's just bad writing, then. Like, you're not going to write a fantasy story and put someone in there who's named Bob. Like, come on! That's not a great example because it's a little different, but like, I, this, that, I read that, and I was like, I'm sorry, what? She was also um, advised to change her name because it's too long, um, so like, writing under a pseudonym instead of her birth name because it's too long and maybe people, I don't know, wouldn't remember her because her name's too long? I don't know. Whatever reason. It's like, no. It's like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> like, that's a stupid reason. And I know we talked about last week, like, female authors changing their names so they actually can sell books. And that's also fine. If you want to do that, great. That's your choice. The point I'm making with this is that she was asked to, to do that. Like, this wasn't her choice. And so it's like, okay, respect her choice. If she's like, no, I don't really want to do that, don't ask her to. Because I'm sure she's thought about it. She, she put it at the end of this kind of, her answer to this question, with, of, of all the things she's dealt with as a Latina woman in in writing uh quote you name it i heard it end quote so she's been through everything and anything the last couple questions talk more about about race and uh this next question is asking her what she thinks readers expect or experience when they when they read her books and she talks about how hispanic authors limited to two different categories either immigrant suffering stories or magic realism which is stupid like just because somebody is from a different country than America doesn't mean they have to write an immigrant suffering story. Again, that meme, like, of the math and the woman, I just, what? And she talks about how people who assume that her book is going to be one of those two things often have very racist assumptions as well which makes sense if they're assuming those things about her books because first of all have you heard of reading the back of a book so you know what it's about 
Like, that's something that just baffles me. When a reader comes out of reading the book and they're like, this isn't what I was expecting at all, and they're all mad about it, it's like, I'm sorry your expectations were wrong. Like, why are you mad about this? This is your fault. Like, I'm sorry? Question mark? Like, what? Anyways. And uh, she talks about how... So, I'll just quote her here. Um, She says, quote, Someone complained to me that Mexican Gothic didn't have any stuff about the Day of the Dead. Well, my novel is set in August of 1950. The Day of the Dead is in November. It's like expecting an American novel set in February to be celebrating Thanksgiving and having everyone running around with a turkey in their hands. End quote. So, first of all, excuse the tone. That's my tone. <laughs> uh, because I'm so worked up right now. And But, I mean, she's right. Having those expectations of like, oh, this is a diverse novel for me as a white person. Therefore, there's going to be all these cultural things in it that, you know, I only know about because we talked about it in school and I don't actually know anything about this culture. That's, it's... It is actually kind of racist to assume that. It's like, a culture isn't just their holidays. Like, and, and and somebody's holidays are actually kind of a sacred thing. Like, they shouldn't be, they should, like, it is huge cultural appropriation to disrespectfully celebrate those holidays. Like, obviously, there's a respectful way to do it. But if you're just doing it so you can get drunk or whatever and be like, oh yeah, it's Day of the Dead or whatever, it's like, no, that's that's so, oh my gosh, so many things wrong. <laughs> um, and so it's something she's had to deal with in people coming to read her books expecting to find all of these probably cultural, I don't know, icons, I guess you could say, or I don't know just important things in Mexican culture. They're expecting to find those things there, and they're not, because that's not all that there is to Mexican culture. And so that's something that'd be really frustrating. It would be. Because you're essentially, you're, you are, when you do that, you're minimizing this person's culture down to that one thing. And that's not okay. There's no reason for it. If you're going to read a, a book by a person of color, just soak it in. Just soak it in. And please read it with the utmost respect for that author. Read it and realize that you're, you are in that moment when you're reading having the you have the chance to view the world through their eyes which is such a special thing anyways i'm going to get off my soapbox <laughs> so there's another point she makes about how uh she has also run into publishers wanting her to pepper spanish words throughout her novel to make it more quote unquote authentic and when you read classic books, like, she gives examples like Madame Bovary or War and Peace, 
you don't see that. You don't see, like, some French or Russian peppered throughout the book. Like, that, they don't do that. That's a, that's actually, um, a fairly new concept. I'd actually, maybe, I might talk about that at some point on the podcast. Anyways. There's no, no one is, no one is saying, like, oh, this isn't French because there's no French words in it. And it's like, so? Like... No one says that. And yet, she's facing this. It's like, this, this, this bias, this double standard of like, oh, you have to, you have to insert every little piece of Mexican culture into your book. It's like, no. First, again, the pieces of Mexican culture that most white people are aware of are the incredibly popularized versions of it like they're they're the the big holidays like Cinco de Mayo and Diez de los Muertos my husband speaks Spanish so I probably I, I might have butchered that and I'm very sorry but and maybe some Spanish words as you can tell I'm I don't speak Spanish and I am also guilty of not really I don't know tons about Hispanic culture I haven't done a lot of research on it but I'm also not going to expect a Hispanic novel, novel written by a Latino woman, to talk about tacos or, you know, have a bunch of Hispanic words in it. Like, I'm not expecting the book to teach me Spanish while I read it, you know? So it's it's okay if you don't know anything about Mexican culture. That's fine. That's totally fine. Nobody's asking you to know everything about it. But what the the appropriate way to approach a book like this is to not have expectations going in. The only expectation you should have going in is based off the back of the book. That's the only expectation. Read if you want, read the back of the book and base your expectations off of that solely. Not outside whatever based off of whatever you know about that culture or whatever the book may be based in because you're going to be disappointed if you come in with your own expectations you just you will be regardless of the book because your expectations are going to be wrong or misplaced that's just a fact so there, there's honestly a lot more I could talk about on this topic um, because I'm getting really worked up and I just start ranting, but I'm going to cut it here because I could go on for hours. <laughs> I think I've covered um, most of what I wanted to and I think I got my point across, hopefully. Uh, I just kind of want to sum up saying these are things that real people struggle with. This is These are things that Silvia Moreno-Garcia has struggled with as a Latina woman. And so when you're supporting authors, when you're reading their books, realize that they're real people with real struggles and realize that any outside expectations you have for the book should not be welcome past page one. It should solely be based off of the back of the book because especially when it comes to a book about a culture you're not familiar with, 
you come in with your own expectations about what it's going to be, you're going to be disappointed. Okay. So, to sum up the whole episode, we talked about her life, uh, and we talked about her career as a writer and all of the incredible things she's accomplished, despite any oppression or racism she's faced, which just makes it even more incredible, honestly. And uh, we are going to, next week, cover her novels. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into those and just kind of look at maybe some overall themes or, you know, just talk about them in general. So I'm really excited to share those with you. And I hope you guys like this episode. I know I kind of got a little ranty and all that. So hopefully it wasn't too aggressive for you. <laughs> but uh, let me know what you think in the comments of the Instagram post that will go along with the release of this episode. And feel free to DM me on the podcast Instagram, which is femfatale.pod. And share this with your friends. That's the best way to get other people to listen is sharing it with your friends, someone you know would appreciate it. And that's the best way to keep this podcast going and to share it so more people can enjoy it. Uh, you can find the podcast on Spotify and um, I almost said Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. And I hope you will join me next week. Uh, when we cover Sylvia Moreno-Garcia's novels. And if you are interested in reading along with me over the next month or so, I will be reading The Gods of Jade and Shadow by her. That'll be the book that we dive deeper into in the last week of this mini-series. So I'm really excited to do that with you guys. I hope you have a great week, and thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye!